You're listening to the Converging Paths podcast, brought to you by Asia House and the Barakat Trust, with the support of the Altagir Trust and the Aga Khan Trust for Culture. Good day, everybody. This is Juan de Lara, Cultural Manager at Asia House, and it's my pleasure and the honor of our sponsors and partners to bring you today the second episode of our Young Perspective series. For this, we have today with us Dokan Admaja, who is a history graduate from Koch University and SOAS University of London, who is interested in languages, cross-culturation and politics through the Mediterranean. His master's focused on 15th century Ottoman heroic texts with Jungian archetypes, and his current PhD focuses on the relationship of Jewish communities with the Ottoman state in the 17th century. Today, Dokan will discuss the birth in Istanbul of the coffee houses, which were the perfect space for social interaction that led to an unprecedented global success of this format, despite the accusations of these places as a source of political unrest and seduction. Welcome, Saif, and welcome, Dokan. Well, thanks very much, Dokan, for being on our Converging Path series. We're really excited to have you here. And one of the things, actually, we did a podcast on coffee earlier in the year, which was very popular. And we, we also found that a lot of the feedback was that people were also interested in the coffee house and the culture of the coffee house. And given that this is a topic that you've been working on, we thought it would be very interesting to talk to you about that subject, building on the previous podcast on coffee itself. So I think one of the things people are interested in is what kind of evidence do we have of early coffee houses? Uh, thank you very much for inviting me here, actually. About coffee houses, coffee houses are social places where people gather and they interact with each other. This second part is important. So you meet there. It's, it's not a family place. It is a social place. Random people from different backgrounds, they come together and they might become accountants. And the first coffee house in Istanbul, we have the first ones after the mid 16th century. But there are cases like court records reporting about coffee houses in Mecca, for instance, or the beginning of the 16th century. Therefore, we can understand that the first coffee house was not actually in Istanbul, but somewhere coffee uh, had already been consumed. And we also know that the coffee arrived to Ottoman capital after the conquest of Yemen. So again, 16th century. So tell us more about early coffee houses in Turkey. What were the beginnings from what we know? Um, the first one opens in a neighborhood called Tahtakale. Today, it's very lively trade merchant area. It's not residential at all. It's just near Eminönü, where the harbors used to be, like trade harbors. So apparently, someone who was trading coffee or who had access via the harbor came up with that idea, opening a coffee house. But it, what is important, today we also consume coffee for for pleasure, for having nice time, you know, with a landscape. But Tahtakale is not such a place. It's the center, heart of the trade uh, commercial area. 
So apparently then we might think of the first function of coffee uh, was coffee house was a break for people from their work. You know, maybe those carriers, transport, the porters, and some people, some merchants who are there for uh, commercial reasons. So basically it started off as as something that we think was for commercial reasons in a very commercial um, neighborhood of the city. Do we know why it expanded and what made it such an important institution and how it differs from other social institutions of 16th century Istanbul? Apparently, people like it. And then another one opens, another one opens. But all the first coffee houses are around the same area, like they are close to the Golden Horn, where the harbors were located. So each harbor had a different, they were like, for instance, one was harbor for for ships coming from Egypt. The other ones, uh, other one was a harbor for fish. Other one was for textile. So the first coffee houses are around these places. Apparently merchants liked it. And how it was different, uh, it offers an inclusive service. For instance, we also had like before coffee houses, we can maybe uh, count Mehanes and Bozahanes. Mehane is like taverns, and Boza is a is not really an alcoholic drink, even though it has very slight alcohol level. But coffee houses is a, offers an inclusive service. Like different kind of people can go there. Age group, uh, state officers, we see them. They go there as well. Merchants, of course, the probably the main group, and some young people just for meeting with another friend because you know rather than inviting someone to your home you you may offer to meet in a coffee house so the first function is like that but you can't do the same thing in a hammam for instance which is also a social botting bot place you can't do the same thing in a in a hammam you can't also really do the same thing in a mosque which is also a social uh, integration location and Jürgen Habermas uh, considers coffee houses also in Europe, as at, at the first early level, as cultural and literature public place because people gather there, people people share opinions, and this later on converts itself into a political criticization area. But how do you think, for example, they differ from taverns and uh, the place where they serve booze? But those are also social places. I mean, what, what do you think the coffee house had as an advantage? The coffee is a new fashion and coffee makes you feel awake. However, there is a significant difference between a tavern, mehane, and a coffee house. Uh, first of all, tavern is alcoholic area. So, you know, it's more limited, exclusive service. Taverns are also, we see women and men together, even though women are not the customers. But we see the dancers there, uh, so the entertainment sector dancers, dancers are present in the taverns. Unlike coffee houses, do we we see from some miniatures, some depictions, uh, the dancers in coffee houses are actually young male people. And can you give us more of a description of what the coffee house actually looked like? I mean. What would it have been like inside the coffee house in the 16th or the 17th century? We do have some plans, actually. Maybe not from the 16th century, 
But 17th, 18th century, we have the plans. Pretty much they should be similar because these, uh, I mean, Istanbul was the main building structure material was wood. So there were always fires and coffee houses, one, one of the origins of those fires because they use fire, right? And um, so many, nothing survived till today, but we do have some plants. So sometimes they are in T plant, T shape, and they have a higher level. So people sit on their knees and we do see a hierarchy because someone on the middle who is generally an older person, wiser person, he's giving some speech probably, and the other people are listening to him. Probably they are discussing about something. This can be about literature, about the poetry. This can be about something social event going on. And of course, later on, it will be political events, uh, situations as well. We do see music playing. So music is going on there as well. As I mentioned earlier, dancers, male dancers who are in women clothing, and they play games like backgammon, like something like chess, and therefore very colorful area. And we can imagine these places were visited by non-Muslims as well, but no women. And would it have been, I mean, you mentioned that someone sitting, that it's hierarchical and that in some of the drawings there are people, someone sitting in the middle and obviously people are listening to him. But how informal is it? And also to what extent do you meet or talk to people that you don't know? Uh, That's a very interesting question, actually. How informal? In my imagination, that depends. Depends on who is giving a speech. If he is someone from Ulema, we do know Ulema also visited those places, even though some Ulema were against coffee houses. So if it is maybe a religious topic, then maybe that's quite formal. But if it is someone who is just telling about his story or he is telling about a legendary story, then probably we can imagine it as an informal environment. Also, we see from those miniatures that some people hold notebooks, books and pen. That gives us the idea if you have a pen, if you are holding a notebook, that means you are thinking about something and you, 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 will, you will take notes. Also, we know these places were book exchange locations too. So people were exchanging books. So I suppose it means that at some point early on, they became places where educated people also went, right? This is what makes coffee houses special and different compared to the other places. Because possibly, coffee, even today, I mean... Affording a coffee is an affordable drink. You know, anyone can do that. A student goes to a cafe and he buys. A businessman also drinks the same coffee. And these places are, yes, where literate people went because also in the society, these places are called madrasa ulema. So, you know, like school, kind of a public school in a way, free public school where people learn different things. And also, we know that. Illiterate people visited these places because imagine someone, especially in the 17th century, where masses were migrating to Istanbul from Anatolia, especially because of the economic difficulties. And, you know, they are seeking for a job. What do they do in the break time? They go and sit in a coffee house. So they were also there. But next to them, there was someone from Ulema, for instance, or a state's officer. 
a janissary, a commander maybe. And therefore, it's a very big range, both literate and illiterate people. And you mentioned in passing that ulama scholars used to go to the coffee house, but also that some people disapprove of it. So why do people disapprove of it? And what is the state's view of a coffee house in general? So we need to probably look at this uh, from a religious perspective. Okay, we said the first usage of coffee houses were limited in commercial areas, but first use of coffee individually is actually among Sufi dervishes because they can drink coffee and they can stay awake during the night. They can do their prayers uh, without uh, out of sight, which is which is preferable according to Islam. However, if we go back to what Habermas says with the end of the 17th century, this place has become more political integration area spaces. So then state becomes a bit annoyed by these coffee houses. And the ulema is actually issuing some fatwas, religious orders, permissions for shutting down these places. Because, Because of all those things we just mentioned, like discussions, different people, so interaction, Coffee houses also become center origin of rebellions, for instance. And in addition to being called as Madrasatul Ulema or Mehdebi Irfan, this place is also regarded as center of fitna fasads, unrest and seduction. Therefore, Ulema issues fatwas. Interesting, I don't remember, I came across a fatwa mentioned forbidding coffee consumption, but going to coffee houses. So rather than consumption of coffee, what they actually don't want is is existence of coffee houses. Because it is a bit harder to claim that coffee is haram, forbidden by Islam, because it's not alcoholic. It's, It's not really clear that it damaged the health. So there is this discussion. But how do you think, I mean, how does the coffee house persist? At some point, do they... Does the state think, oh, maybe it's not so bad, or do the ulama change their minds, or, or is it just uncontrollable? Or is it that it is this gray area that's neither haram nor not haram? Uh, that's a big transformation, actually. So 17th, 16th century is like that. Like Murat IV, who was sultan early, yeah, early 17th century, he uses this conservative Puritan group called Kadazadeli, and they are against coffee houses, and he uses their argument because it doesn't fit with his political agenda, because people are rebelling, and they start, they discuss in coffee houses. However, after some point, and this is the time where coffee houses really get shut down, but after some point, it's just unstoppable. And later on, like in the 19th century, they will become actually a kind of an information collection uh, locations for for the state so state actually use coffee houses later in in later centuries well that's interesting i guess if you can't shut something down you can use it as a source of information right yes but of course the dynamics change for instance maybe we should mention about who were the mer- merchants of those coffee houses uh, yeah the earliest ones were merchant people from trade commercial areas. But later on, we see that also Janissaries, the 
royal troops, they were also running coffee houses. And this is interesting because the security forces, because during the peacetime, they were responsible of the security of the capital, Istanbul. Uh, and the wartime, of course, they were going other places. So those people now were not just Sultan's army, but they were also merchants of the city. So now they have a bit of conflict of interest, if we can uh, describe like that. Because when Sultan, this time it is hard for the Sultans to demand to order closure of coffee houses because his army is not going to obey his order now. So the Sultan's army starts to run them and I guess profit from them. And it becomes harder. I mean, I suppose you don't want to annoy your army, right? You don't want to annoy your army and there is nothing much you can do because the Janissary army is supposed to represent the Sultan, whatever condition is, because they are called like Kapukulu. They are the slaves of the gate, which is the Sultan's gate. But if they are also merchants now in the city, they have interaction with the civil population. And coffee houses, who visit them? Like Janissary coffee houses, civilian people as well, just other merchants or, you know, some old people, uh, some young people, other Janissaries who are dismissed from, from the army, for instance. And all this becomes the change, the profile of coffee houses against the state now. And you told me that they sometimes, the coffee house... As it becomes more integrated, it becomes also a place where people congregate before going to the mosque and coming back from the mosque and that that it becomes a place that's religiously acceptable? Yes, again, this is, okay, some groups, some conservative groups consider coffee consumption as haram, but it is not clear, even ulema consumes it, and it becomes a useful place before meeting, just before the prayers, right? I mean, what are you going to do? You are just next to a mosque. And those merchants who are running coffee houses, they also use some depictions of Mecca, Medina. So, you know, they also have this religious thing. Even uh, Janissary coffee houses in the like 18th century, they have, because Janissary army is associated with a 13th century Islamic cults called Bektashis. So, and they use... His quotes, his not depictions, but like symbolic things about related to that cult. Therefore, it has this social, religious and military thing as well. You mentioned that coffee houses, when they start, are exclusively for men. Do they stay only for men in the 16th and 17th centuries? And what are women's attitudes about them? Let me start from women's attitude. From the earlier times, I mean, the... I mentioned that there was an early uh, 16th century case in Mecca, and that one is actually reported. It's, it's about some women complaints about coffee houses, and similar things happens in 17th, 16th century Istanbul. Women complain about these places because they think they take their husbands away. So they come, husbands come home late, they don't take care of the home anymore. They don't take care of their duties. And some cases show that they are also not sexually active. So these are the women complaints. 
So women don't like them either, for the most no, part. No, no, women stayed. <laughs> and how do coffee houses in Istanbul change over time? In the 18th and 19th centuries, are they different from the ones depicted in the early manuscripts you were describing or on the Golden Horn? Yes. First of all, their number has increased. And as I mentioned, like from this commercial area, they become also military a thing. That doesn't mean there were no other, like only Janissaries around the coffee houses. No, but Janissaries were quite important. And okay, let's ex- try to explain this with the change in political change. Like, therefore, whenever Sultan needs to do a reform, he is topped by his own army. And this is this comes like that till early 19th century, 1826, when Mahmoud II rebels technically i mean we can say that he rebels against his own army who are supposed to obey him with the support of the public and he destroys all the janissary lords their headquarters so of course their coffee houses as well because sometimes janissary coffee houses are together with the with the janissary station let me say police station that's interesting it's not about coffee houses but in istanbul there is no single Janissary gravestone. Even gravestones were destroyed, for instance. The first time I saw was in Edirne. And therefore, Mahmoud II takes over their legitimacy now. And after that, of course, with cultural ties with Europe as well, the profile of coffee houses change. So it is not wrong. It is true to mention that European coffee house concept was imported from Istanbul to European capital cities, but then maybe it came back in a way in terms of design, etc. And and as I mentioned earlier, states even use those places like for intelligence. For instance, they send people, they hire local people who attend those places and they ask for reports, which are called journal. And, you know, what people think about the taxes, what people think about the local governor, what people think about those social events going on. And therefore, the function of coffee house changed in a way like that. So state was against them. Now state is using those places as a as kind of intelligence source. So you mentioned that the coffee house as a concept goes from the Ottoman Empire to Europe. And then later on, they start having European-style coffee houses in the Ottoman Empire or in Istanbul. What are the features of the European coffee house that come from Europe rather than being what is exported from the Ottoman Empire? By saying that, I actually meant the profile how they use because the men-exclusive coffee house concept is still going on in Turkey. So we have like those chains, as you can see in any other city, Europe or elsewhere, which are mixed. But there are also coffee houses, only men goes, like women don't even enter. Uh, This is also represented, reflected in some movies, like woman needs to say something to her husband, just sends his son to call him out. She doesn't enter. So in the 19th century, after this Janissary army's dismissal, students go to Europe, especially France, Paris, and they, of course, meet, they go to coffee houses there. And they bring what they learn. What about the location? You mentioned that they start sometimes having these panoramic coffee houses and things like that. Yes. There is this one famous with Pierre Lotti, a French author, actually a military guy uh, from the French naval forces. And 
his favorite cafe is on the top of a cemetery in Golden Horn, which is out of the historic Istanbul. And the reason is not really integrating with people probably because it's a quite it used to be a quite remote area so probably he was going there for some pleasure you know watching the sunset or maybe sunrise maybe another time uh, with the golden horn because it's on a hill as well and yeah we can talk about such use therefore for the early 20th century and can you just tell me again about the sultan the, the one that rebelled tell me how his rebellion affected the coffee house okay so by his time um, probably some sources say that the janissaries were running coffee houses and janissaries were acting as also kind of a mafia those janissaries were responsible in peace time to for the security of their region their uh, neighborhood and to do that sometimes they were asking they were demanding money from from the local people or other merchants in the neighborhood and the state didn't couldn't do much against that this was unlawful but the state security forces were doing this even like there is a case of a priest who couldn't collect the amount of money he landed someone and he went to a janissary coffee house to ask him to collect his money and the janissary did that of course by force and he got half of the money but at least the priest could save half of his money and of course all these things come to an end because we know that mahmud the second like left nothing from the janissary army he literally wanted to erase them from the ottoman history as i mentioned even gravestones or even the their bands which was uh, founded again uh, like 100 years later and therefore we do see civilian run uh, coffee houses now and that leads us to this uh, gossip thing this uh, intelligence policy of the state and does the state ever run and own coffee houses itself no so far i know no and i know you're using the example of istanbul but is it fair to say that in other areas of what is today turkey or the ottoman empire the kind of coffee house culture was also thriving Yes, I do use Istanbul because Istanbul is where we have most uh, cases, I mean the documents, but I can assume pretty much it was the same thing because other social events, social places are run by in, in similar ways. And how does the coffee house feature in popular culture? Do you have sayings, Turkish sayings about the coffee house that reflect how people saw it? as a place of action or a place of discussion or the place of gossiping yes of course so the function of integration function of coffee houses is still kept of course everywhere today and these are places where people also talk about politics or some social unrest and they offer like you can even witness that you they offer their own solutions oh i think the government should do this like this no this is very wrong they sh- it should be like that if i were you know the prime minister i would do like this but of course these arguments are never really you know turned into action easily so we do have some saying like saving the motherland in a coffee house so you just talk about it but at the end there is no action you do nothing there are also some sayings referring to a friendship 
you know, being intimacy in a company of coffee and coffee house, such as Gönül ne kahve ister, ne kahvehane, gönül muhabbet ister, kahve bahane, which is my heart desires neither coffee nor a coffee house. My heart desires friendship. Coffee is just an excuse. So now we know why people go to the coffee house and continue <laughs> to go. I think that's the secret. And so basically what it means is that the coffee house is a vehicle for intimate mutual conversation. Yes, it is. Not only with uh, the people who know each other, but also with people who do not know each other. It is where people go for a date or like they meet, you know, even it can be a short business uh, meeting. And sometimes you hear the person next to you is talking about something you are interested in or you can do and you become a friend. Uh, yeah, it's like that. Uh, this is important, actually. We haven't mentioned this at the beginning, but I think it is better now. Coffee houses, even today, they are places we experience some extent of civilization because people learn how to integrate with the other one in, in his or her own limits. So we acquire some face-to-face -face speaking skills there. We learn how to behave. So again, if we go back to the early modern, like 16th, 17th centuries, such things we can also talk about, argue for hammams and the mosque as well. But coffee house is different place. Your main function varies, but in a hammam, your primary goal is getting washed. In a mosque, your primary reason is prayer. But in coffee house, free for all. So basically, the primary reason of a coffee house existing is to interact, right? Uh, yeah, the primary function it is. And this is what it keeps it alive in our lives, despite the centuries. And thinking about yourself and Istanbul today, I mean, if you went to a coffee house, would it be a normal thing for you to talk to someone you didn't know or to, let, to kind of add to a conversation that other people were having? Uh, depends. Depends. That would be to some extent, yes. Actually, there are some places which were used to be madrasa, like schools in the past. And those places are now converted into coffee and shisha places. And I don't remember where I read it. And the author was saying, this is not, this shouldn't be a coincidence. <laughs> there is this uh, phenomena going on, even though we can't clearly explain. And in one of those places, like it has chambers, which used to be the classes or the students' cells. Now they are converted into a coffee house, of course. And you can sit and people, like you feel that there is nothing official or something declared, but people go there to interact with each other because someone brings an instrument and he plays his guitar or baglama. Others are not annoyed. Like his voice, the sound he makes is actually entering others' border, but they are okay with that. And this starts conversation. So yeah, I can say that, but it's not always the case. Really depends. But I guess... It's interesting to look at the present of, as a way to understand what made the coffee house or anything else popular in the past. I guess human nature is the same and spaces of interaction, we like them probably today in the, for the same reasons that people like them in the 16th or the 17th century. Uh, yes, the human nature case. Uh, I mean, we can also think that for, for other 
places like the pubs or even restaurants. We don't only go to a restaurant for having, a, like for feeding ourselves. We also go there as a social event. But of course, this is more exclusive, right? Because you don't go there, like you don't eat all together. You go there with with the friend or whomever you are going with. But yeah, this human nature doesn't change. And the coffee houses, in my opinion, uh, are special in this regard. Yeah, well, I used to live in the north of England and I noticed there was a special coffee house where all the people from the Middle East used to meet and, and there was another coffee house right opposite where they never met. And so I asked a friend, well, why do you always go to this one and not to the other one? He said, oh, we like this one because it's informal. You can move the chairs around and more people can join you. You don't have to keep on ordering drinks and you can also watch people going by. And so it has this fluidity that makes it really appealing. That That's what we want when we go to a coffee house. Yes, we mentioned inclusive service, you see. Every, anybody from different background even, they can find something or they, they, they can feel comfortable. I mean, the service in, in a coffee house allows that so they can move the chairs. But in a restaurant, probably that's not that easy or other places like you can't really do the same things in a hammam. Well, thank you, Dokan. That was a really interesting insight into the origins and evolution of the coffee house in Istanbul and It answers many questions that many of our listeners had about what makes coffee an institution. And it is often the place, not just what you drink or the, the beverage. So thank you very much. You added a lot to our Converging Path series. I am thankful for you for inviting me here and giving this opportunity. And I'm also thankful to our listeners. I hope they enjoy and find it useful. 